Differing Things is a podcast which focuses on how far religion and society have deviated from the Bible. Differing Things will cover many topics, both spiritual and current, to draw our listeners closer to their creator. Now for today's host, Bill Petrie. born sinners, a commonly abused proof text is Psalm 51.5. Now, I cannot claim the following is the result of only my scholarship or research. I am indebted to individuals such as William P. Murray Jr. and Jesse Morrell, who have stood for the truth and defended the truth of what I'm about to share with you. I do feel that I have the best explanation of this particular text that we're going to look at today, and that all other explanations, to me, just seem to be totally inadequate. Psalm 51.5 states, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is a Hebrew poetic parallelism with the second line of the verse saying the same thing as the first line in a slightly different way. The first verb of which David is the subject is in the Palel tense as is made in Job chapter 15 verse 7. And this is an idiom used to refer to creation or origins, and is the passive form of palal, which is rendered formed in Psalm 92 and Proverbs 26.10. The subject of this verse is not the state or constitution of David's nature as a sinner at all or before his birth. The subject is, as the verse clearly states, the circumstances of his conception, the sexual union which produced him was an act of sin, and addresses the unrighteousness of his mother's act not anything, such as a sin nature, inherent within himself. The NIV's version of this verse is an interpretation. It is not a translation. It reads, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And again, that is simply interpretation, not translation. The scripture is talking about David and his mother. It is not referencing all of humanity, and it says nothing about Adam or Adam's original sin. It says nothing about human nature, let alone a sinful nature. The sin mentioned is not the sin of Adam, but the sin of David's mother. The structure of the sentence itself shows that the sin belonged to the mother and not to David. 
In sin, the verb, did my mother, the subject, conceive me, the object. David's mother is the subject of the sentence. So the sinning, grammatically, had to belong to her. The late teacher, Winky Prattney, said, Now all David is saying in this, and you can look it up in Hebrew if you want to, is that my mother was a sinner during the time of my gestation and conception. That is all. Now that quote is taken from Lecture on Original Sin, published in 1971. The late Charles Finney said, and I quote him from his Systematic Theology, page 281. This is what Charles Finney said, and I quote, The psalmist intended to affirm the sinful state of his mother at the time of his conception. That's all. There is a world of difference between being born in sin and having sin born in you. Just as there is a world of difference between being born in America and having America born in you. David was formed in sin, but sin was not formed in him. The event spoken of is the conception of David, not the birth of David. He is not saying that he was born a sinner. David is saying that his mother was in sin when she got pregnant. She was sinning when she conceived him. The conception is the beginning of the pregnancy. The birth is the end of pregnancy. The passage is talking about the beginning of the pregnancy or the conception. We can make a strong case that this verse is talking about the defilement of David's mother because she was previously the wife or concubine or mistress of a heathen king. We know that David had two half-sisters named Zeruah and Abigail. First Chronicles chapter 2, verses 13 and 16 state, And Jesse begat his firstborn Eliab, and Ebenadab the second, and Shema the third, Nathaniel the fourth, Radai the fifth, Ozam the sixth, David the seventh, whose sisters were Zeruah and Abigail, and the sons of Zeruah, Abishai, and Joab, and Asahel three. And we can also state that the father of David's half-sisters was not Jesse, but a man by the name of Nahash.
In 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 25, we read, And Absalom made Amasa captain of the host instead of Joab, which Amasa was a man's son, whose name was Ithra, an Israelite, that went into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister to Zeruah, Joab's mother. We know that Nahash, the father of Zeruah and Abigail, David's half-sisters, was an Ammonite king. 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 states, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabash Gilead, and all the men of Jabash said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 12 states, And when ye saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord, your God, was your king. David's father was Jesse, not Nahash. But David's half-sisters were daughters of Nahash. This could explain why Nahash showed kindness toward David in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 2. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. David's mother was most likely the second wife of Jesse. But she also could have been a concubine or, again, an illicit union with Jesse. The scriptures do not tell us. Just as it doesn't tell us whether she was actually married to a heathen king or a concubine to the heathen king or, again, a mistress to him. This, I believe, explains why David was not called before Samuel the prophet among the other sons, as he was viewed as the embarrassment of the family and possibly even viewed as an illegitimate child. Now you can see that in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11. Now, David's mother apparently had a good relationship with the Lord, according to Psalm 86.16 and Psalm 116.16. But she would have been in the eyes of Jewish law considered defiled by her previous relationship with an Ammonite. All you have to do is just look up the word Ammonite and look up the 
under the Mosaic law, the laws dealing with that, and you would find out that the individual who is married to an Ammonite is cut off unto the 10th generation from the nation. It may simply be that David's mother was not married to Jesse when she became pregnant, or that she was still the concubine of or married to Nahash, the heathen king, when she conceived. The context of David's prayer of repentance in Psalm 51 is not consistent with David making an excuse for his adultery by saying, I was born a sinner. It's not my fault. I was born this way. Sound like a popular song? In true repentance, an individual takes full responsibility for their sin, and they offer no excuses for justification. David was not blaming his sin on his birth. David was simply stating that even the circumstances of his birth were surrounded by sexual sin. Now, it's interesting that David's half-brothers, Jesse's other sons, felt that they were superior to David. And they would accuse David of being prideful or thinking he was as good as them. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 28 through 30, we read, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why came you down hither? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the naughtiness of your heart, for you are come down that you might see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another, and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again, after the former manner. Oh, it had to have been hard for David. And why was David not considered by his father Jesse as a true son, as his half-brothers? Samuel had called Jesse and his sons, and thus expected all his sons to the sacrifice in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 5 and 11. Jesse, having been told to bring his sons by a prophet of the Lord, everyone feared in 1 Samuel 16, 4, was confident he had obeyed the prophet, even knowing he did not bring David. 1 Samuel 16.11 states, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all your children? 
And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he keeps the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And this would be consistent with God's sometimes choosing that which men esteemed as worthless or the least to be the greatest. Consider people like Gideon and King Saul and Jesus himself. And yes, the apostle of this dispensation of the grace of God to the body of Christ, the apostle Paul, all were esteemed the least, and God did make them great. Yet, yet David's mother was apparently a Jewish woman, because no Ammonite shall enter the congregation of the Lord to the tenth generation, according to Deuteronomy 23.3. And yet, in Psalm 86.16, and Psalm 116.16, David refers to himself as the son of your handmaid, which would seem to testify to his mother's relationship with Yahweh himself. David's mother was in the eyes of Jewish law considered defiled by her previous relationship to an Ammonite. Numbers 25 verses 1 and 2 state, And Israel, Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4. Neither shall you make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son. Nor this daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you. Now, Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 23 through 25 states, In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. And Ezra warns of this in chapter 9, verse 2, For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. Verse 4. 
When a sinner repents of his sins, it is not uncommon for them to reflect upon the stronghold that those sins have had throughout their family. A drunkard might reflect upon the drunkenness of his father when he repents of his own drunkenness. They might think to themselves or pray, I am a drunkard. My father was a drunkard. I come from a whole family of drunkards. Drunkenness has greatly affected my family. In this case, it appears that David reflects upon the sexual immorality of his mother while he is repenting of his own sexual immorality with Bathsheba. Isn't that the context of Psalm 51? David said that it was the Lord who personally made him in Psalm 119.73, and that he was wonderfully and marvelously made by God in the womb in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. Therefore, he could not have been sinfully made by his mother in the womb. It is not wonderful to be born sinful or marvelous to be created evil. Lest we view David as contradicting himself or charge the Bible with inconsistency, we cannot interpret Psalm 51.5 to say that David was formed with a sinful nature in the womb or that he was born a sinner. David did not contradict himself in the Psalms. David said that his mother conceived him through sin. But God created him wonderfully and marvelously. There is no inconsistency or contradiction in that. Understanding the context of Psalm 51.5 is critical. Many dear saints have used this verse to create doctrines about the nature of unborn children or the nature of all men. But I believe I have very clearly demonstrated in this brief study, that Psalm 51.5 is not talking about either issue. When we become lax in our studies, many serious errors can creep in. Errors which can destroy what God is trying to communicate to us. Errors which produce bondage through man-made religious thought which quickly replaces God's thoughts. And for this reason alone, it is critically important to grasp the true meaning of Psalm 51.5. May we rejoice when truth exposes a lie. May we quickly abandon a theology based on man's traditions and falsehoods and embrace truth wherever it leads. Good day and God bless.
We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast. Thank you.